What I want for you is to think about this. As you live, as you build, as you build into your life, your education, your experience, your work, your family, and you're building your life, what I want for you is to know this, that the most abundant life possible, the the most rewarding life possible, the, the most fulfilling life you can possibly have is a life in which you are following hard after Jesus. Now, if, you, if you've been in church any time, you're going to say, man, is that it? Like, I've heard that since I was four, right? But, but here's the deal. Somewhere along the line, we forget the significance of this, don't we? I mean, check it out. Sometimes, think about this with me now. Sometimes we think, if we've been in church any time, we've been kind of around church people, we think, when we think of following Jesus, what we think of is, is this. We think of a watered-down Gospel. We think of a watered down, tame, domesticated guy, maybe, who's nice and is kind of for women. Right? Which is why more women serve in church than men, right? We think of a, of a guy, maybe, who's, we're not actually following him, but we're just kind of following his morality. He's a nice guy. He's like a, a kind of nice Mr. Rogers. You know, not me, but, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. This is just kind of what we do. He's kind of nice. I mean, who doesn't want to be around people who are nice and make you smile? But what I'm telling you is this, that we don't follow a Jesus like that. Listen now, if you've forgotten about this, I want you to know, this Jesus that I'm telling you is worth following. This is the kind of man, now check it out, think about if you would do this, who walked into a town knowing, knowing, that they were going to kill him. That they were going to torture him too. Don't forget that part. That they were going to tear the flesh off his back and drive nails through his arms and legs. And he willingly chose to walk into that place. Now let me ask you, what would you do if I told you on the way home from church today you're going to be in a terrible car accident? that's going to leave you in tremendous physical pain that you will die from. How many of you are going to get into that car and drive out of here? And yet, this is what Jesus did. A man of great courage who faced not only a a, a mythical death or an idealistic death, but he faced a torturous death at the hand of the Roman soldiers and the hands of the Jews, if you will. This is a man who's a visionary. This is a man who could see things that others could not see yet. This is a man who had other people follow him, who at the end of their life, all right, check this out, how many people would follow you to the point where they say, oh, you know what, I really love this person, they're my friend, in fact, I would be crucified upside down for them. How many of you have friends like that who would follow you and would follow me to the point where at the end of my life, someone would be willing to be, to be crucified upside down for me? Yet this is Jesus, a leader of men, who are willing to give up everything they have to follow him. This is Jesus, the man that we say is worth following. The man who is a visionary, he's courageous, he's a leader of men. He's also, he's also incredibly compassionate, incredibly caring, incredibly wise, to the point where he invests and values little children to say, come unto me, come come to me, come to me, guys. Others don't value you, I know of your great worth and value. 
This is Jesus. And so this morning, if you're here and you have conceived of somehow, when you think of following Jesus means following morality, following niceness, being kind, sharing likes on Facebook, loving people nicely. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about following the man, a man of incredible courage, the man of incredible vision, of incredible, incredible influence, of incredible leadership. The man who said in John 10, 10, I've come, I've come, that they may have life and have it to the fullest and have it abundantly. So here's what I want for you. I want to, to reinvigorate for you in your heart this real affection for following Jesus because you will see again that this life that you want to build is best built on the person of Jesus Christ. This is what I want for you. Here at Grace Point Church, this is our mission, right? Developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We talk about that over and over and over again. But the question we always are going to ask, what in the world does that mean? How do I, okay, how do I, if I want to follow this God, man, Jesus, how in the world do I do that? How do I follow him? It's a great question. It's a great question. It's a question we're going to continue to ask. I want to take us to a, a passage of scripture, a section of scripture that we're going to study for the next several weeks together, leading through our fall in which we're going to seek to answer that question. How do I follow? If I want to follow this man, Jesus, how do I follow him? Okay. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's not a problem. There's a Bible near you and the pew around you. There are two different kinds of red Bibles. One's a little bigger. On that, in that Bible, you will find it on page 939. And in this, the thinner red Bible, you'll find it on page 788. That's page 939 or 788, Matthew chapter 7. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible that you are now holding, if you're holding a pew Bible, is yours to keep as our gift to you this morning. You can have that and read that, uh, take that home with you. Okay? And here's the deal. The, um, the section of Scripture we're going to be in actually begins in Matthew 5, but stay in Matthew 7 because we're starting at the end of our section. Jesus is up on the, a mountaintop. He has a crowd of people near him, and he's kind of retreated to the mountaintop in order to speak to these disciples. And he begins speaking. The section that I'd like to pick, us, pick up on is in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7, and he says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came down. Come on, come with me now. And the floods came up. The rain. And the floods came up. Beautiful. You just experienced Sunday school culture. If you have never experienced that before, okay, this is an old children's song that we teach, and I think we still teach it to our kids, but, but this is where it comes from, that the rain came down, verse 25, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock, okay, and then verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and... The rain came down. Nice. 
You remember the hand motions. That's good. That's awesome. Okay, uh, thank you. And the whistling was awesome too. I appreciated hearing that, um, keeping us on cue there. So this is the rest of the story. The rains come down and the floods come up. And here's the image of our storm back here, which is why we have this storm, because we all know life is full of storms. And what Jesus acknowledges in this metaphor and this analogy is this house that you want to build, this life that you want to build for yourself, you want to build it on the rock. You want to build it on the strength because storms are going to come like they did last night, yesterday afternoon, and they're going to beat against your life. They're going to beat against your values. They're going to beat against whatever you think is important. So if where you locate those values, if where you locate those things that are important are not on a strong foundation when the storms of life come, which are the intellectual storms, do I really believe that God even exists? They're the emotional storms of do people even like me and does my life matter at all? They're the financial storms of how in the world am I going to make it through this time that I'm in right now? I can't even make my mortgage payment. When these storms come, if my values are located on the sand, then the house falls flat. Now the question is, what's the difference between the house that's built on the rock and the house that's built on the sand? Because here's what Jesus says. If anyone hears these words, he says, verse 24, Everyone who hears these words, and then check out verse 26, let's compare these two. But everyone who hears these words. Okay, now here's the significance of that. What he's saying is that the people who build their house on the rock and the sand, they both hear. Isn't that intelligent of me to figure that out? They both hear. Here's what that means. Coming to a place where you hear the truth doesn't matter. It's not going to help you because both people hear. Everybody can hear. The only distinction here between those who build the house on the rock and those who build on the sand is what Jesus says next in verse 26. That everyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice. That's the distinction between the rock people and the sand people. The rock people put it into practice, the sand people don't put it into practice. It's as simple as simple as that. You know, James will make the comment, he said, uh, you know, if, if um, you look into the mirror and you see something wrong with yourself and you walk away without changing it, what, what, kind, what kind of person are you? Can, you? can you imagine that for a minute? Think about this with me for a minute. You're going to work and you decide to just roll out of bed. You roll right out of bed, just roll right out of bed and go to work. I mean, you're just, you're, you're at work. And your coworkers are looking at you just like, like hair funny, like what's wrong with you? But they don't say anything because it's just not that normal. So maybe there's some kind of cultic thing going on for you. I don't know what's happening in your life, but that's fine. You come, maybe tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow, you just, you don't even shower, right? From day one to day two, you just roll right out of bed again and you go to work like that. You haven't shaved, you haven't done your hair your face looks like you need to do something with that thing, right? And you go right back to work. They're looking at you again like, what's wrong? with And in this water cooler talk, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Day three, you roll out of bed, same deal. You haven't shaved, you haven't done makeup, you haven't done your hair, you haven't done anything. But you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, wow. You go to work and finally, finally, somebody's nice enough to say, hey, listen, you know, I don't want, I don't want to make a big deal, but, but we kind of think you should shower. Maybe, maybe even shave. 
You're like, you know what? Thanks, because I've been feeling that I should, and thank you for telling me, because that just affirms to me that that's God's will for my life, that I should probably do that. Man, you're, you're right. Would you pray for me that I can figure out how to shower? No, I mean, come on. Now, what are we going to do? No, we're going to say, you know what? I need to do that. There's, it's one thing to look in the mirror and see the problem. It's another thing to do something about it. And here's what Jesus says. Those who build their house on the rock don't just hear it. They actually do something about it. Everybody hears, and one of the most subtle lies that we can believe is because I hear things and become smarter, somehow I am more pleasing to God. I know now how to sin even better than I did before. I know more information. That's all I need. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying, listen, the storm's going to come and that will kill you. It will destroy your life because you have not put into practice these words that I'm teaching you. These words. And then, look at the crowd's response in verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Their response was, wow, I can't believe this. I cannot believe this. They were amazed at his teaching. And here's what I want for you, and, and here's what I'm going to ask for you to do for me as well, okay? That the, the teaching that we're going to get into of Jesus, these words of his, they should hit us. They should hit our heart, as one commentator wrote, with an unnerving ferocity or ferociousness. And sometimes the words that we read in the Bible, if we read it a lot, can kind of hit us like you know, a stack of pancakes. Like, oh, that was, was interesting. Didn't really do anything for me. Didn't really... Hit me, diff- hit me hard. Yeah, I kind of felt that. And, and here's what happens to the crowd. They're amazed at his teaching. They're amazed at his teaching. And my hope for you and for me is this. Number one, that I don't water down Jesus' teaching when I tell it to you. Because I'm going to tell you this. His teaching standards are higher than my ability to obey. Jesus teaches in an ideal world. In fact, in this section, Matthew 5 to 7, he'll say, he'll say stuff like this. Be perfect, like my heavenly Father is perfect. Good. How about we start a little lower, Jesus? I mean, can we just start with be good for a week? Can we start with that? How about a, give me an hour to be perfect, and then let's kind of build up to a lifetime of perfection. He, Jesus' style of teaching is black and white, very, very strong teaching. Meant to elicit a response from us. It's almost like saying, hey, if you're a football player, if you like football at all, hey, if you're going to play football, play at an NFL level. Anything else, don't bother trying. It's almost like if you like um, home decor. I don't know if Martha Stewart is still good or not, but let's just say that that's kind of a good thing. Decorate your home like Martha would. All right, anything else is not up to par. All right, if you're a biker like, like I am, ride like pre-drugged Lance Armstrong, or else it doesn't count. Like, don't do it otherwise. And here's what, Jesus, is here's what it feels like to us as Christians sometimes. Like, if I, can't, if I can't reach this standard of perfection and greatness, 
Two things happen. Number one, I get ambivalent or indifferent toward it. Like, I can't be an NFL player, but I like to play football. I, I can't decorate like Martha Stewart, but I like to decorate my home. I can't ride like Lance, but I like to ride. So what am I going to do? If that's the only standard, I'm out. I'm out. Can't do it. I, I can't. I can't do it. Some of us are driven enough where we have the the opposite response. All right. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to figure it out. I'm smart enough. People like me. Right? I can get it done. And then somehow we think we accomplished something and then we fall into self-righteousness. It's like, look what I did. And then nobody likes us. Right? So there's often two responses to this really strong ideal that Jesus puts out for us. One is, I'm not even going to try because I can't get there. Two, if I try, if I try to be as moral and godly and right and love my wife like I really should and take care of my kids like I should do, the finances, be the spiritual leader in the home, care for people, take care of all the needs in the world, and do everything in the world I'm supposed to do, I've done it. I've arrived. Look at me. But there's a third option here. There's a third option. And it's laid out by one commentator, R.T. France. He puts it this way. He says this. The gospel is not one of rejection of those who fail to reach the ideal standard, but of forgiveness and of grace. So what I'm going to teach here in the next several weeks together are going to be things that you can reflect on and say, boy, I don't meet that standard. Good. Because if that happens, then I've done my job in part. And I would ask you to pray for me in preparation that I don't water down an ideal for you to make it more palatable, nor that I hold out to you this ideal and ask you to get there in your own strength, to develop self-righteousness within yourself. Because the gospel is not about rejecting those who don't meet the ideal, but about forgiveness and grace in the process of walking this story of life, this journey of faith together. So this is the difficulty of Jesus' teaching. These words, not if you hear them, not if you hear them. Hearing it is immaterial almost. Only if you do it, only if you actually take a shower when you see you need to, and only if you actually shave when you see you need to, will it actually make a difference in your life. So these words are the words that will help us build our house, our life, our values, our intellect, our emotions on the rock of Jesus. So where do we begin? Chapter 5 of Matthew, chapter 7, of Matthew, of the book of Matthew, excuse me, chapter 5. If you are still in Matthew, flip it back a couple pages to Matthew chapter 5. We're beginning at the, at the, um, the end of what is typically called the Sermon on the Mount, um, I preached on the Sermon on the Mount a couple of years ago. Um, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are all those, those folks. I'm not going to rehash that. We're going to start at the end of the, um, the blessed section, right in verse 13, actually, is where we're going to start this series. And um, every time you are on a journey, we often don't think of this, but we have to know where we begin. If I were to tell you that I want you to go from here to um, Dallas, Texas, you're going to assume a starting point, like, oh, my house. And then you're going to run the GPS or pull out your mapping system, whatever it is, and figure it out from there. But what if I didn't give you a starting point? Like, what if I spun you around, put you in a, in a helicopter and dropped you off in a field somewhere, and you didn't know where you were starting from, but you had to get to Dallas? 
Matthew 5, 13 to 16 is our starting point. Who are we? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? This is a section on identity. This is a starting point for the journey of faith in these verses together. And it's an identity that leads us to one simple question, just one simple question that I want us to ask when we get to the end here, okay? So verses 13 to 16, beginning of verse 13, this has to do with our identity. If you say this morning that you're a follower of Jesus, this, Jesus is making a statement to you and to me about who you are, okay? Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Okay. You are the salt of the earth. Let's, let's process that for a moment. First of all, he's, he goes on to say, but if the salt loses its saltiness, number one, that's impossible. It's chemically impossible. Um, sodium chloride the chemical compound of salt, if I get, have my science right here, cannot be broken down any further than that. It, it, it is its smallest common denominator. Salt doesn't break down from salt. Salt is salt. They can't stop being salt. And so Jesus is saying, you, you are the salt of the earth. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's giving you a standard that says that you can't help but be this. This is what followers of Jesus are. You are salt. Now, what does that mean? Okay. Salt is, is only noticeable when it's in a different environment, right? If you take salt and let's say you're eating only salt for lunch. Some of you do that. I'm just kidding. And you added more salt to that, it would make, <clears throat> excuse me, make no difference at all. But if you had mashed potatoes that had no salt... <clears throat> excuse me and you put salt on top of those mashed potatoes different now right different now because salt primarily has to do with taste in fact if you have the english standard version or the new american standard version it will tell you in your text there that instead of if the salt loses its saltiness that word is translated if the salt loses its taste is the word. It loses its tastiness. So the image right away from Jesus is, it, it, you are the salt of the earth. Therefore, you're different. You're, you're fundamentally different than the medium in which you're going. You're going into the earth. So you're different, number one. Which, which is a real problem for many of us. I'm different. I just want to fit in. No, no, no. Salt doesn't fit in. If salt fits in, there's a problem. Salt doesn't fit in. Okay? So you don't fit in. Okay? Welcome to following Jesus. You don't fit in. You are different. You have to be different. This is your identity. Okay? You're different. The salt makes stuff taste good different. Not usually bad different. Unless you put too much salt in the cake, then it's bad different. Usually it's good different. Right? Good, different. Now, what does this mean, though, to be different? Okay, there's a lot of ways to be different. You can stand on the, the sidewalk with a sandwich board sign and say, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come. You're different. Is that the difference Jesus is talking about? You cannot shower for three days. You're going to be different. Is that what he's talking about? I don't think so. I don't think this is what he's talking about at all. 
Let me, let me put it this way. Um, when I grew up in the Caribbean, my parents were missionaries there. Um, one, about once a year, sometimes every other year, we would get a favorite food of mine uh, kind of shipped in from America. It would come in on the a plane with people who'd come to visit us. And sometimes they would bring it and sometimes they wouldn't, depending on how much room they had in their suitcase. I would love to get Ritz crackers. Kind of a common staple for, for normal kids growing up here in America. You can get Ritz crackers pretty easily. But we couldn't get them in Barbados. And, and I would, would kind of, how do you show a real eagerness, not for the person who's there, but what's in their suitcase, right? Hey, great to see you. What's in your suitcase? I mean, that's kind of the feeling I had as a kid, like, glad to have you guys here, but let's get to the good stuff. Okay, what did you bring for us? And they'd pull out socks, and I'm like, socks? Are you kidding me? Do you have Ritz crackers? So that was the deal. Kind of, kind of weird, but that was the way it was. So I get Ritz crackers, and they weren't, I didn't have them a lot, but I had them every now and then. So I developed kind of this um, pining, if you will, for Ritz crackers. You know, kind of weird. What's wrong with this kid? That's the way it was for me. So I come back to the States, and we live here for a little while, and it's like, I can have them all the time. Well, here's what happens. You get married, and then you begin to think about how can you eat a little more healthy ways, right? And so somewhere along the line, then the Ritz cracker box gets a blue stripe across the top. You know what that means? I didn't either. It's a little blue stripe, low sodium. Low sodium Ritz crackers. Like low sodium. I wonder what they taste like. Terrible, <laughs> terrible is what they taste like. It's like cardboard. Like, give me some salt on my Ritz cracker. And that's what I felt like. So I'm getting this Ritz cracker thing out, low sodium, boom, and I eat it. And what a disappointment because it tastes terrible. And this, this is the imagery that Jesus gives. You are the salt of the earth. Make it taste good. And by your difference, you can make it taste good. Don't be low sodium. Don't do it. Don't go there. Now, now there's, there's ways to be different, right? There's kind of the, the private way to be different, where I can be different on my own in my own time, but then there, there's even a more dangerous kind of different, and that's the public kind of different, where other people are going to know I'm different. And this is the second part of the identity that Jesus lays out in the very beginning, what a disciple of Jesus is. And he says in verse 14 then, you are, number two, not only the salt, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. How foolish would that be? Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, if... If you thought being different was bad news, like having to be different, now this is getting worse for you, to be honest. Because now, not only are you to be different, you are to be different publicly. You are to be different publicly, where people see you being different publicly. There's been a lie that we bought into, uh, some of us who, who have believed that, okay, I, I can follow Jesus fully in the privacy of my own personal holiness. I'm just going to spend more time in private prayer. I'm just going to read my, my Bible more. I'm going to surround myself with Bible stuff. I'm going to have a calendar that has Bible stuff on it. My screensaver will be Bible stuff. My home will be filled with Bible stuff, but it'll just be for me, and I'm going to grow in personal holiness and live a quiet, 
quiet life, a personal devotion to Jesus. And what we've done in that scenario is taken a light and hidden it under a bowl. Who does that? Grab the nearest comforter and throw it over your nightstand light. See what happens. A fire, number one, would happen. But number two, the light doesn't work. What's the point? Why have a light in the first place if we're going to cover it up? So Jesus' message here, you're, you're the salt. You're different, but you're publicly different. Now, what does that mean, then, to be publicly different? How am I supposed to do that? And here's what he says. Look at the, look at the text again. Look at what he's teaching. He says, okay, verse 16, in the same way, and here's the how do I do that? How do I let my light shine before men? How do I do that? In the same way, let your light shine before men that, okay, here's the deal, that they may see, they can watch, they can observe your good deeds. They can see what you do that makes the world taste good. They can see what you do that makes your school taste better than if you weren't there. That makes your work environment taste better than if you weren't there. That makes your family life taste better than if you weren't there. That they can see your service. They can see your good deeds. This is right in line with what Paul will teach later in Ephesians 2.10. He'll say we're saved unto good works. To do things for people. That, why, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Verse 16 finishes. That they can see your good deeds and, 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 praise your Father in heaven. Here, here's the trouble we have. Well, if I do it publicly, it's all about me. I don't want to showboat and kind of show people how. Isn't, isn't something about don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing? I mean, aren't we supposed to just kind of let people ask us about our faith and just kind of live so people wonder and they ask us what, what's going on? You know, what, I don't want to make it about me. Good, we appreciate that. The spirit behind this, as Jesus says, is, is not so that they can praise you, and, and you and I know the difference here intuitively. The difference is that I can serve you and that they will praise your Father in heaven. How in the world are they going to praise your Father in heaven if they don't see us doing anything worth praising God for? How are they going to do that? This is the, the struggle. The salt that's different, the light that's public together in service. So I have one question that I think we can ask for one another. A simple question. As you, as you think about, okay, what does that mean? Let's say I might actually believe that, that, that if I follow Jesus, right, my home will be stronger, my values will be stronger, not, not just if I hear the words, as anybody can hear them, but if I actually do it, if I do it, I do it, I do it. Okay, if I do that, then that means that I need to, first of all, think as my starting point, I'm, I'm the salt of the earth. I can't change. There's no, like, half salt, half not salt. I'm the salt, okay? And, and then I'm the light, it's, it's ridiculous to cover a light. Just don't even have a light. Then pay electricity to turn it on and cover it. Okay, you're the light, the public light, so that people can praise your Father in heaven. All right? Be different publicly. So here's a question to ask that I think is very appropriate for this context. It's very, very simple. Okay, very simple. question you can ask your family, you can ask your spouse, you can ask your friends, and that is simply this question. How and where can I serve? How and where can I serve? How and where can I serve? I want you to imagine with me what this would 
look like? Imagine for a moment if you actually asked this question to your spouse. And you said to them, all right, um, listen, honey, how and where can we serve? We want to have a home that is a home that glorifies God. We've talked about that. We don't want to have a home that's all about us. How, can we ser- how and where can we serve? Imagine where that conversation can go. Okay, well, we don't want to just add one more thing to our agenda, right? No one needs that. If, if you were signing up to add another thing to your life, there's some, some things there. But this is not just how can I add one more thing. Rather, in the context of what I'm doing, in the context of my kids going to school or me going to work or taking care of my parents or whatever it might be, how and where can I serve through good deeds in that context? Imagine what it would be like in your school if you were to ask that question. How and where can I serve here in my school? How and where can I serve people to make this place taste different because I'm the salt of the earth? That's what I am. I am the salt of the earth. What would it look like for you to serve your, your um, classmates, to care for them in ways you never have before, to provide for your teachers in ways you haven't before, to develop something for your friends, a club or an organization that you never have before, to serve through good deeds, to organize others around that cause that they can praise your Father in heaven. What would it look like? What would it look like to do that? How and where can I serve? Now, here's, here's what I'd like you to do today. I have for you a little bit of an object lesson that I would like you to take with you today. I have, and you probably can't see it depending on where you are, but I have this little packet of Morton iodized salt that I'd like you to take with you today. I'd like each of you to do that. I have sitting on the Welcome Center on the way in, you may have seen it on the way in, two little clear jars, so to speak, of salt. And I'd like you each to take one of these. There's plenty to go around. And I'd like you to use it this week. Could be today, maybe you're going to Red Robin for lunch, or you're going home to eat mashed potatoes that are bland otherwise, or you just want a salt fix in the car on the way home. I don't know what it might be. But I want you to use it. I want you to tear this thing open and put it on your food sometime this week preferably today. And when you do, I want you to taste what we're supposed to be like. I want you to taste how good it tastes to have salt in this world. Because this is what followers of Jesus are to be. Different. Different. For the sake of the common good that we can serve through good deeds our community, our families, our school, our work, so that people will praise our Father in heaven. We're all going to build a house. The issue for me and the issue for you is not what you've heard this morning. You've all heard it but those who put it into practice and look into the mirror and say, it's time to shave. Got to get that shower. That's the difference. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let's pray together.
Our good God and our Heavenly Father, we, um, we pause this morning to stop and think again about our identity. About our starting point for trying to follow Jesus. And we admit we're broken and flawed people who will never meet the ideal standard, but we also admit that we will not compromise that ideal standard because it's easier to give up. So I pray for those this morning who kind of want to hear the message but don't really want to do anything about it because it just is going to cost too much. I pray for those who hear it and are like, ah, I know I should do that, but not now, not this week, and ah, I'm going to get through this season first, or ah, I think my friends will think I'm too funny or strange if I do that, or ah, I can't have that conversation with my wife or husband, it's too awkward. I pray for people like that who are on the verge of courage that you would move them into that. Move them away from fear and into courage to actually do what you want us to do. To be the salt that makes this place taste good and to be the light that everyone will see. As this song says, the glory of our risen King, Jesus. To see his glory can be as simple as beginning with this question, how and where can I serve? I pray this in Jesus' name.